Well, good morning again. Uh, and as Emmanuel said earlier on, if we've not met before, my name is Anil, and I'm the Associate Minister here. Uh, please bow your heads to pray as we begin to hear for God's words proclaimed to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The end is in sight. Five weeks ago, uh, back in week two of our series uh, in Mark's Gospel, I said that the book divided uh, neatly into two halves. I said the first section, chapter 1 through to 8, 26, looked at the authority of Jesus given by God as he ministered at first in Galilee uh, and then in the region beyond Galilee. The end is in sight. In the second half of Mark's gospel, uh, we see Jesus being rejected for the authority which he claims to have, a a rejection that will lead this Friday to the cross. Jesus himself was rejected, and yet he continued to proclaim God's good news. In my sermon back then, I said that uh, Jesus is God's Holy One who proclaims God's good news. That Jesus himself uh, had said the reason he had come to earth was for this very task. That Jesus' mission was a preaching mission. And I close my sermon by reminding us that if we call Jesus Lord, if we follow him, if we love him, then he has commissioned us with his God-given authority to go and preach the good news also. I wonder, how has that worked out for you? Have you taken up the mantle, as it were? Have you taken the opportunity to share with someone the outrageous love that God has shown you? Have you proclaimed his good news to to those he has placed you amongst on Zoom calls? Uh, with a friend or family member in the queue for a coffee or with the Amazon delivery person or at the school drop-off or in the class or the playground? Have you? And if you have, how did it go? Was it an easy conversation? Were they all ears? Honestly, I'd love to hear your experience if you have been sharing God's good news since that sermon. Uh, Do write to us or send it in on a message. Uh, We'd love to be able to share that with the church family to encourage us and to to help us to, to see how God is working among us. The issue with evangelism is that we're often too scared to do it, aren't we? We wait until the relationship is at just the right point or until the right moment in the conversation, or until they ask us the God question, because then then we have permission to speak about Jesus. I don't need permission to talk about hip-hop. I love hip-hop. And if I can worm a a hip-hop into a conversation at some point, I'm going to do it. I don't need permission to talk about podcasts I'm listening to. In fact, I intentionally maneuver conversations just so I can bring up a podcast I'm listening to right now. How about you? You might have the same feeling about a sports team or a kind of sport for a special someone or people in your life or a favorite book or film or TV show. These are the things we're passionate about, aren't they? And so it's only natural for us to want to talk about them, right? So does that mean we're less passionate 
about Jesus? That for me, hip hop or a podcast, and maybe for you, a sports team or a sport, a movie is actually better news to proclaim to those around us, the people we love, than the life-saving, eternity-changing good news of Jesus, the Son of God? Is that really what we think? I've been part of this church family now for just over 18 months, and as I speak to people on a Sunday after church when we could, or, or as I uh, engage with people on the phone or in emails, I know that many of us love Jesus. We love Jesus with all our hearts. We know that Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the Holy Spirit, anointed one, came to earth to live a perfect life that we, we couldn't live, not even for a second. To die a, a God-forsaken death, bearing in his body on the cross every moment of punishment that, that I rightly should face for my sinful life. So that by his wounds I can be healed and freely forgiven. We know this. We know this deep in our bones. And we love Jesus for it. It's, it's evident in our church. And my experience with our church family is that we are generous, aren't we? I hear so many stories of outrageous generosity and hospitality to those in our church family and those outside of it. We as a church are about to celebrate the fact that we have uh, paid the final bill on our renewed project, 1.5 million raised generously from within our church family. Given generously to the day-to-day -day running of our church, given generously to our gift day at the end of last year. We are generous with our time. I mean, this year has been brutal, hasn't it, for so many of us. And yet, some of our busiest people in our church family gave up even more time to help plan in detail our return to church last summer or to put work into helping us find our next vicar, John Shepherd, or into running our services or into leading our hope and depression course. We are a generous church family and so... I'm sure, I'm positive that we wouldn't want to keep this amazing news to ourselves. We'd want to, to share it because we want to see our God pour his outrageous love onto them. We want to witness our God rescuing people from an eternity without him. So this is true about our church family, as I believe it is that we as a church family truly love Jesus and, and we are truly generous then why do we find it so hard to tell people around us, even those we love the most in the world, about the life-saving, eternity-shaping good news of Jesus? There could, of course, be lots of answers to this question, but today I'd like to zone in on just one. Perhaps we're scared. We're scared of not saying the right thing, of being caught out, of being rejected, of being embarrassed, of losing our social status, of being made fun of, of looking like a fool, of losing a relationship, of being attacked, of losing our jobs. These are genuine fears. Sharing the good news about Jesus is scary because it is costly. If you have a physical Bible open in front of you, why not flip over a page and go to Mark chapter 10, verse 28, 
we see Peter say to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. Now we might read this and think, classic Peter, exaggerating as always. But look how Jesus responds in the next verse. I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields for me and the gospel. Now just pause there for a moment. Did you see that? Jesus said for me and the gospel. Peter wasn't exaggerating. He and his fellow disciples had really given up everything to follow Jesus, had put everything in second place to their goal of being ambassadors of the good news of Jesus, the gospel. If we're following Jesus, we should expect to lose things for him and the gospel. That's his message. If you've got the Bible open, look down a verse or two and notice what Jesus promises his disciples in verse 30 for following him. Persecutions. If we follow Jesus, if we proclaim his good news, the, the gospel, we have a promise from God that we will be persecuted for it. Jesus himself promises us this. Following Jesus is costly. We are to carry our cross, as Rich spoke about from Mark chapter 8, verse 34 last week. Do you know what it means to carry your cross? It means to every day make a conscious decision to die a little bit to yourself. Your wants, your desires, your plans, your goals, your ambitions, your comfort, your status, to die a little bit every day. Nailing it to the cross, crucifying it, so that we can become more like the people God has made us to be. More like his son, Jesus. Jesus says in the next verse in Richard's reading, verse 38, 30, chapter 8, 35, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses for, uh, his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Did you catch it there again? Jesus said, for me and the gospel. The message we carry, the good news we are to proclaim, the gospel is costly. Jesus is clear about that. Now, why am I telling you this? I've been speaking for about 10 minutes already, and I've not even mentioned that passage that I'm preaching from. Because, brothers and sisters, if you follow Jesus, if you love Jesus, then by God's Spirit, I pray that you hear in the remainder of my sermon something that will give you confidence to speak about Jesus. And this is why. Because Jesus himself was rejected regularly by the most respected, most powerful people in his society, even by his own town. And yet, he continued to proclaim God's good news. Just sit with that for a moment. We can often say, I often hear it said, I would love to have been alive when Jesus was there. I would have loved to have sat at his feet. I would have loved to have followed him and given up everything to be with him. Oh, to be in the presence of Jesus. It's a romantic idea. But I hope as you've seen, as we're reading through Mark's gospel together, that 
the majority of people didn't accept Jesus' gospel. I mean, even Peter abandoned Jesus when it truly mattered. Take that in. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit anointed one, God himself in the third person of the Trinity, was rejected. That the people living in first century Palestine met God himself face to face in the person of his son. They heard the very pure word of God spoken to them by God himself. They witnessed his power, his authority, his miracles firsthand. And yet, and yet, they did not believe in him. Brothers and sisters, if they rejected God himself when his beautiful lips proclaimed the good news that leads to eternal life, why on earth would we expect that our proclamation of his good news would be any more successful on our own. Jesus himself was rejected and yet he continued to proclaim God's good news. There are some who seem to get it. At the start of our passage in Mark 11, we have the crowd singing Hosanna as Jesus enters Jerusalem. They seem to get something about who Jesus is, but even they misunderstood Jesus to be their earthly king who had come to liberate them from the hands of the oppressive grip of the Romans. Like the fig tree and leaf of verse 13, the crowd shows great promise. There's, there's leaves there. There's, there's a, a signs that fruit might be present. But on closer inspection, will they be found to be barren and fruitless? Like the chief priests, the teachers of the law, in verse 27 and 33, who have all the adornments of holiness, who have all the practices of righteousness and yet are barren and fruitless like the fig tree. Let's stay here for a moment. Look with me at chapter 11, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples arrived back into Jerusalem and while he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders came to him and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you the authority to do this? You can imagine them, can't you, wagging their fingers. By these things, they mean Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem a couple of days earlier, his clearing out of the temple courts, perhaps the day before, and his teachings generally that have been going on. Get this, God himself is standing there right before them. And those who claim to follow God the most, instead of believing in him, they challenged him. Jesus himself was rejected and yet he continued to proclaim the good news. Some people can have their nose almost touching God and still ignore him, still reject him. When someone comes to you, with a burden or an issue and, and you share with them God's words instead of your own. They are coming into direct personal contact with God himself through you and his word. And they can reject it. The teachers of the law rejected Jesus. 
When you talk with your colleagues at work about what you heard in church on Sunday or what you're reading in the Bible and, and you're exposing them to God himself in his word, they can reject it. The elders rejected Jesus. When you offer to play, pray with someone on the playground, you are interceding to God himself on their behalf and they can reject it. The chief priests rejected Jesus. Maybe you're listening to me preach right now, having God's word exposed to your heart. Maybe you've been attending church for years or have been attending with your partner, but, but don't really believe all this stuff. I can shower upon you God's truth and expose your eyes to his marvelous light and you could still be rejecting Jesus. Jesus himself was rejected and yet he continued to proclaim God's good news. In whose name does Jesus have the audacity to do the things that he does, they ask. Who gave him the authority, they ask. How does Jesus reply? In classic Jesus, with a question, verse 30. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? This isn't a trick question. Jesus is not trying to trap them. In his grace and mercy, whilst they are trying to find a way to kill him, verse 18, Jesus is offering them a chance to repent, to, to turn to him and receive mercy and forgiveness. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Aren't you willing these men on? Just say John's authority came from heaven, guys. You know this is true. Get over your stubborn and pride-filled hearts and, and just say what is staring you right in the face. Jesus himself was rejected and yet he continued to proclaim God's good news. Brothers and sisters, we can offer the most compelling evidence for Jesus. We can share the gospel, the good news, and his outrageous and abundant love with, with joy and winsomeness. We can live such good lives among them that the aroma of the gospel just exudes off us like an intoxicating fragrance. But the Bible tells us that people's hearts have been hardened to the good news. Their eyes have been sealed shut. Their ears have been stuffed and blocked. There is nothing you or I can say or do to convince them to see what is so evidently obvious right in front of them. Even Jesus himself stood before them. They still might not believe. It would take a miracle to bring them to faith, you say. Yes, it would. Yes, it would. Only the resurrection power of God's spirit can bring them from spiritual death to life. Only the mighty power of God's spirit can turn their stubborn, pride-filled hearts of stone into a, a soft, tender heart of flesh, beating with the oxygenated blood in its arteries that only can be breathed into it by the spirit. This is what God has done for you and me if you believe. 
Christians believe in miracles because we ourselves are the greatest testimony to the most powerful miracle we will ever experience. The power of the resurrection in our own lives that we were once dead and are now more alive in Christ than the poor lost souls walking around us. Let's look back to this group of religious leaders, shall we, in verse 31? They discussed it amongst themselves and they said, hmm, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men and... Now here Mark kindly adds for us uh, a bit of their head thinking. They feared the people for everyone held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, yeah, we don't know. I say again, a person can stand before the face of God in his word or through the witness of his people, you and me, and be so hell-bent against him that they can't see what is staring them right in the face. We don't know, they say. What sad words to hear. We don't know. Jesus himself was rejected, and yet he continued to proclaim God's good news. Brothers and sisters, we know where this story ends in just a few days from now, as the road gets ever shorter to the cross. They rejected Jesus himself in the most brutal way possible, worse than the rejection you and I would ever face for sharing the same message of hope. So it's okay to feel scared to share the good news. It is a costly message to share. We need to recognize that. But don't let the cost surprise you. It shouldn't. Jesus has told us all along what the cost of discipleship looks like if we love him. Instead, with a heart that yearns for the lost, pray for miracles this Easter. And just as Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, knowing what it would cost him, confidently share the good news that you have a God-given authority to share. Have the confidence to invite a friend or a family member or a neighbor to come to or to watch one of our Easter services online over the next seven days. Go into that conversation knowing that just like Jesus, there is a high chance that you will be rejected for saying it. Remember, Jesus himself was rejected and yet he continued to proclaim the good news. And recognizing that there is nothing, nothing you can say or do to make them believe. Pray. Pray for miracles this Easter. That as we proclaim and celebrate Jesus' power over death, that those whom we have proclaimed God's message to may also be resurrected with him and with us. Jesus himself was rejected, and yet he continued to proclaim God's good news. By his spirit's power and the miracle that is at work amongst us, I pray that we would do the same this year. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that your scriptures are, are real and true. That as we come to faith, you don't candy coat it, you don't hide anything from us. 
but you are honest and true to us about what the cost of following you looks like. Lord, our heart breaks when we think of the Pharisees who, who stared Jesus, God himself, right in the face and still couldn't see, still hardened their hearts against the truth of who he was. Thank you, Father, that in your mercy and by your spirit, you have brought us from death to life, that you have done miracles in our lives, that you have opened our eyes to see Jesus for who he is, your Son, your Holy Spirit, anointed one. Thank you that you have been abundantly generous in pouring into us your Spirit, that we would have faith to believe. Lord, give us confidence this week burn and sear our hearts with a a burning desire that our friends, our neighbors, our family, our loved ones, our enemies would not reject you, would would not ignore you, would not have their eyes blinded to you, but stir in us prayers to pray with confidence that you will bring them from death to life, that you will open their eyes, that you will unstop their ears. And Lord, do this, be merciful and do this. Father, I ask that you, you put into each of our heads now one name, just one name, Lord. One name of someone that we can be praying for this week. And by your spirit, give us the confidence, Lord, in spite of the rejection we could face, give us the confidence to go to that person and to invite them. Invite them to, to hear and receive the good news. And that way we keep praying for them, Lord. Father, as we look towards Easter, this coming Sunday where you, in your power and by your spirit, raise your son back to life, we pray that in your mercy you'll be uh, pleased to, to bring our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones, our enemies, bring them to new life too. That there will be hearts set on fire for you in our communities because you have used us and we have been faithful to you. Lord, help us not to rely on our own words, our own talents, our own clever arguments, but always, Lord, to rely on you, to trust in you, to know that you love these people more than we do, that you sent your son to die for them, though they don't know it yet. Lord, bring them to faith. Do miracles this Easter, we pray, Lord. Amen.